So as we continue our series in John's epistles, this morning we will be looking at the passage in chapter 3, the last verses 19 through 24. Read them with me if you would. John writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Father, we we come humbly before your word. Because you have just spoken. You've just spoken to your people, to the church that you love, to the church that you care for, to the church that you want to minister to this morning. Please help your church to receive these words, to rejoice in these words, and to learn from these words. And help me, Lord, to serve these people that I love. In Christ's name, amen. In John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, Christian, the main character, makes an arduous journey from his home in the city of destruction to the celestial city, which means heaven. And along the way, he faces many difficulties and he faces many trials. And on a number of of occasions, he chooses the wrong path. He gets off the path to the celestial city. And finally, as he gets back on the right path and he nears the celestial city, he is with his traveling companion named Hopeful. They come to the dark river that they have to cross to finish their journey. And Bunyan writes... Christian and hopeful walked down to the water that swirled against the banks. Is it deep? Christian called to the shining ones. They shrugged. You shall find it deep or shallow, depending on how firmly you believe in the owner of this place. Then the two shining ones vanished. A look of determination filled Christian's face as he and hopeful stepped into the waters. At first he kept his eyes on the gates of the celestial city, and the bottom of the river seemed firm. His feet were hardly wet. But then he looked down to the water, and suddenly he remembered Apollyon's charge that he had been disloyal to Emmanuel. And he remembered all the times that he had left the path. Then the river seemed to rise up against him in foaming waves and felt the bottom slip away. Desperately he looked up to the city but a mist had come up from the river and it hid it from him. Like Christian and like the individuals that John is referring to here in this passage, our confidence before God can at times 
be fleeting. We all struggle in this life and we all experience doubt at times, like Christian whose heart caused him to doubt as he remembered his failings along his journey to the celestial city. And like Christian, we are all susceptible to the same kinds of doubts about God's love, about the genuineness of our faith, and about the future of our eternal souls. There are two pastors that I have tried to pattern my pastoral ministry after. One is John Newton, who would be quite the historical hero to me. And the other is John, the apostle of love, who is the author of this letter. Both these men were wise and caring pastors who who loved the sheep, that were in their flocks and who desired desperately to protect them from all kinds of spiritual harm, both from without and from within. And in this passage, John is doing just that as he shares his thoughts in chapter 3. Now, in verse 17 and 18 of this chapter, John has provided deeply practical application to living as a genuine believer. He says this in 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Remember, one of the the concurrent themes in John, along with walk in the light, in other words, how you live, is walk in love. And again and again in John's letter, he talks about our love for one another and how our love for one another is proof of a genuineness of our faith. It is the irrefutable evidence that we genuinely do believe in God and that we love God. And and John never leaves that theme. He hits it again and again. And here we see and in this passage as John is talking about assurance and our hearts condemning us, he's referring it back to whether or not we are being faithful to love one another. John is saying if you truly love one another, you will not close your heart to the needs that people have and you will give from your supply. Your your actions will match your words. And now in verse 19, he tells us, by this we shall know both referring to what he just said and also it does project forward from what he, what he is about to say. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And then he goes on to say, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So he, he's, he's talking about this love that we are to have for one another. He tells us that if we practically love one another, If we love the the folks sitting next to us in church, in care group, those who visit our home, those homes we visit, particularly he's speaking about the church, we will know we are of the truth and we'll have assurance before God be aware that we will not always be faithful to live this way. That the reality is we don't always love one another. The reality is we don't always like one another. The reality is we don't always meet the needs of one another. And when we don't, John goes on to say in verse 20, when we don't, for whenever our heart condemns us, John, John is aware that 
our hearts will condemn us at times when we are aware of the lack of love that exists in our hearts. So here's my proposition for you this morning. Our obedience to Christ's command is the assurance and irrefutable evidence that we belong to Him. Our obedience to Christ's command is the assurance and irrefutable evidence that we belong to Him. And the two points this morning are that John wants us to to learn from this passage is that there is assurance for the unsure heart. There is assurance for the unsure heart. And that there is assurance when we have a believing and obedient heart. A few years ago, I was traveling to Bangkok and the cheapest flight I got was on thin air to travel through Helsinki. And I'd never been to Helsinki before and I had about a 12-hour layover so I had to go through customs and I don't obviously speak the Finnish language and it was quite confusing. And I was, I got to customs desk and this I'm sure he was a kind man to his family. He was just a robot to me. And he just looked at me and he said a few words in Finnish that I had no clue. I gave him my passport and he said a couple more words in Finnish. I had no clue. And he kept talking to me. And I heard the word go. And he's pointing behind him. And I, and I don't see a doorway. I don't see anything. I'm just standing there, an American idiot, with no idea what to do. And finally, he just grabs me and pushes me forward. And, and there's this wall, and there's actually a doorway behind the wall. I just never saw it. I was, and I stood there just so unsure. It was that moment where I just, I don't know what to do. There was, and, and that, is, that is what John is is talking about here is this lack of assurance, this paralyzed feeling of when your heart condemns you, what do I do? Where where do I, I go with this? And John here in this verse, in verse 20, he says, for whenever our heart, whenever, this whenever is a common experience. Whenever. Not if ever, but whenever our heart condemns us. It's a common experience for us all. And what is, what is surprising to me is that very often it is the most faithful and sweet and godly believers I know that are the ones who struggle most with condemnation. Um, the people who you would look at as a believer, you know, you know as a believer and you look at their lives and you just think, they are they're just so godly. And you would talk to them and they would think, I'm the least godly person I know. And they battle doubts. And they battle a, sh- a lack of assurance. And they, they battle condemnation. And it's because we all live imperfect lives. And each one of us, each one of us in this room has our own personal struggles with particular sins and the and sins that, that weigh us down and condemn us. And we're not, you know, we're not always aware of these sins during the normal course of our days. We're going about our, our, 
our work and, and the things that we're responsible for. But consider what happens at the times we desire to draw near God. What, what happens during your devotional time? Suddenly, your heart begins to speak to you and reminds you of your struggles and, and of your sins. And the voice of the enemy becomes loud and he breaks in and he begins to accuse you and your heart agrees. And condemnation at that moment can be overwhelming. And maybe you're in one of our church prayer meetings and your heart reminds you of who you think you really are. And condemnation sets in and you think, well, there's no way I can pray. And you just remain silent. Why would God listen to me? We're here on Sunday morning during our time of singing in particular. And you, you're, you're wanting to worship and your mind is distracted with thoughts of, I'm not genuine. My faith is weak, if not, maybe not real. And I've let people down. I've committed sins. I have a weakness. And there is a mediocrity to my relationship with God. And your heart screams at you. And you feel condemned. This is the whenever. And it often has no boundaries. Condemnation can strike at any moment and it can paralyze your assurance of who you really are in Christ. It can undermine your identity and your identity in Christ can take a hit. And so in in verse 20 here, John wants to redirect our thoughts in the second part of this verse. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. You could just go home with that today. God is greater than our hearts. He redirects our thoughts away from our inward self-accusations and our self-absorption towards God who does not condemn us because he is already aware of who we are God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. What is there about you that God does not know? How does the omniscient one not know everything that you think and feel and believe and have done? And yet, John saying, listen, he knows everything, and God is greater than our heart when it condemns us. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitful above all things, deceiving us most of all. We're not always aware of how bad we really are, but God knows everything. And yet, he does not condemn us. In fact, he sent his son to die for us, knowing who we are, knowing everything about us he sends he sent his son god is not surprised by our failures and john's reminder is that god is greater than our failures and the sins that condemn us and while our hearts hold everything that we've done 
against us. Our hearts condemn us and Satan accuses us. God holds nothing against us. He remembers our sins no more. Psalm 103, 12, even as far as the east is from the west, God throws our sins and he remembers our sins no more. I Remember your sins no more, says the Lord, because they became Christ's sins. And it's not that God suddenly has holy amnesia. He chooses to see us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Edmund is rescued from the white witch. Edmund, who betrayed his brothers and sisters, and Edmund who betrayed all. And he is rescued from the white witch. And and it happens at night. And the next morning, Lucy and Susan and Peter wake up and they see Peter, uh, they see Edmund walking with Aslan. And eventually Aslan and Edmund make their way over to the, the siblings and Aslan. And they want to ask what's going on. And, and Aslan says, we've had our conversation We will talk about this no more. What an amazing gift that God looks at us and he says, we've had our conversation and we will talk about this no more. Do not let your hearts condemn you. John goes on to say, not only does the father not hold your sin against you, but because you stand before him. Look, look at this verse. By this, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and we are reassure our hearts before him. We are before God. And you stand before him forgiven and cleansed and righteous in Christ and he welcomes you into his presence. Look at Look at this verse, beloved, verse 21. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Our hearts do not condemn us because God does not condemn us. And we should not let our hearts condemn us because God does not condemn us. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Hebrews wonderfully reminds us of who we are before God. In Hebrews 4, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, our failings, our struggles, our falling off the path like Christian We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's why he can die for our sins on the cross. It's why we can now stand before God declared righteous. So he goes on to say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's what John is saying here, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Twice in this passage, John speaks of being before him, before God. And that is, excuse me, that is the most unique 
privilege we can possibly have as believers. That we can go before God. We now stand before the Lord, brothers and sisters, uncondemned. Uncondemned before the creator of the universe. Because the creator became the creature. The transcendent God who in his purity is rightly hostile to sin, to our sin, sent Jesus to bear our sin by suffering and dying on a cross. And he is now our father and he now tells us, ask me anything. Ask. Now, when he says ask me anything, this is, this is not a carte blanche shopping spree before God. <laughs> that is not what John is saying here. He's talking about asking according to his will. In John's gospel, we studied a few years ago, but you might remember this verse. John writes in chapter 14, Truly, <clears throat> truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, so here's a condition that we see that when we ask, we're asking because what we want to do and what we're asking from God is that the, that the Son may be glorified. So if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Spirit of truth. And we'll learn about that in just a few moments. I will not leave you as orphans. And he goes on to say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him, and we will make our home with him. We will make our home with him. God. God wants us to ask because he sent his spirit to dwell in us. God wants us to ask because he wants us to ask according to his will. God wants us to ask so that we can have lives that bring glory to his son. God wants us to ask and he desires, he's eager to answer our prayers. Now, one struggle I think we all face is the reality that we don't always keep his commandments. <laughs> we don't always obey his will. And then we begin to think, well, how then does he answer prayer? How does he answer prayer? How can we ask if we're not perfectly obedient? Well, David Jackman in his commentary on John's epistles says this. Our mistake is to make God's answers to prayer conditional on our obedience, whereas, John, whereas John's purpose is to fashion our asking on this pattern of obedience. Prayer is the expression of our requests to a loving Heavenly Father who loves to hear it and to answer His children according to His wisdom as to what is best, or as John puts it later in 5.14, according to His will. Understood this way, verse 22b becomes not so much an impossible challenge as an encouragement. As we seek to live in a way that pleases God, practicing his truth and love, our desires become molded to his. 
We want his will in our lives and the lives of others rather than pursuing our own selfish desires willy-nilly. The more we enjoy and develop that relationship as obedient children, the more we shall find ourselves asking and receiving those things that are pleasing to God. And that's the point of what Jackman is saying. The more we enjoy and develop that relationship, our relationship to God as obedient children, the more we shall find ourselves asking and receiving those things that are pleasing to God. And so we can have confidence in our prayers as we obey God's commands and we do what pleases Him. John does not mean that confidence in prayer is founded on our works. He simply means that godliness and sincere worship cannot be separated from faith. And faith cannot be separated from works, as James teaches us. What gives our unsure hearts assurance? Well, God is greater than our condemning hearts. We have confidence before him because he knows everything and has forgiven us, sent his son, and we can pray, trusting that as we seek to do his will, he'll answer our prayers because he is good. So the first thing is that we can have assurance for an unsure heart. Secondly, we can have assurance for the believing, obedient heart. The heart of John's appeal for our lives is seen in verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. John contends that our assurance rests on obeying two commands, believing in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and loving one another. You remember back in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, you know, what's the great, greatest commandment? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our faith is proven by the truth we believe and our obedience to his command to love one another. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The benefit that John describes of believing and obeying Christ is amazing. We abide in God, and he abides in us. In particular, John identifies our faith in Christ and our love for one another as a gateway to assurance, an assurance that we belong to God and that we have, as he said in chapter 1, we have fellowship with him. Again, in 5.13, John has written, he has told us why he wrote these letters. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Our believing and our obeying brings us assurance. 
And in verse 24, here is how John wants us to be fully assured. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And then he says this, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And now God dwells in you by his spirit. And you and I can be assured that we belong to Christ because God has given us his spirit as the promise guarantee that we are born again and that we've received the gift of eternal life. Do you remember Ephesians chapter one? In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he says these words, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit has been given to you, dwells in you as a sign of God's promise, of a sign of God's guarantee until you die, until you stand before the Lord where the gospel is not necessary anymore, where faith is not necessary anymore, where you are before the Lord. He has given you his spirit to live in you. Now, if that doesn't make you shout hallelujah, nothing will. Better. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, the creator became the creature, the incarnation, to walk among us, to live our lives like we experience to be the perfect and holy sacrifice for our sins, to bear our sins, to suffer for our sins, to die for our sins. He comes and he dwells among us. And then he ascends to heaven. But he does not leave us alone. The creator stays with the creature. He dwells in you. Next week, another The Force Be With You movie comes out. The Holy Spirit is not the Force. He is God, the Holy Spirit. And He dwells in you. And you do not have to be condemned. And you can be assured. David Jackman again says, Our knowledge and assurance in the end come from God himself. So there is a marvelous blend of the objective evidence and the subjective experience by which we may know that we really do belong to God. The Holy Spirit takes the evidence of the historical life 
and death and resurrection of the Word made flesh in the pages of written Word of Scripture and so awakens our minds to its truth and our wills to its imperatives that we are brought to repent and to believe the good news as we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To this, John adds, the objective evidence of a changed life with a new concern to live righteously in obedience to Christ's commands and to reflect His character not only by holiness but by a sincere love for God and all His people. As we see these evidences within us, the Spirit Himself assures us of the genuineness of our Christianity by His inner witness. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. We we can have assurance for those who are unsure. And we find assurance through our belief and our obedience. So our application, our task today is, and our application is given in this verse. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. If we have trusted in Christ, (coughs) and if you have not trusted in Christ this morning, let me appeal to you. You can have assurance. You can have assurance that your sins are forgiven. You can have assurance that you're no longer under the wrath of God and will be judged by God. You can have assurance that Christ will forgive you and you will be cleansed and you will be in the presence of God. You can have assurance if you are not assured right now. If we have trusted in Christ, though, for our salvation, God has made his home in us today. And he not only promises to fellowship with us, he does fellowship with us. And we experience that fellowship through his word. We experience that fellowship as we pray. We experience that fellowship as we're with one another. That's why we gather as a church on Sundays. It's why we gather as a church in care groups. It's why we gather as a church in our homes that we experience fellowship with one another, which is experiencing fellowship with God. Listen, when we believe and when we obey, we can face uncertain times of doubt and condemnation because the gospel has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The gospel has promised us that we are forgiven and we're no longer condemned and we're no longer judged and we're no longer enemies of God, but we are children of God. Remember, Devin taught on this just a few weeks ago in chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And finally, David Jackman says this, a true Christian then is one who obeys both the commands to believe and love. In this world, such responses will always be less than perfect and tainted with sin, but the continuance in them is the all-important mark of genuineness. He underlines again that this is no vague super-spiritual notion, no empty mysticism to which anyone might lay claim. Remember, they were mystics that were, were dividing the church. It has content, belief, Jesus is the Son of God in human flesh. And behavior, we are to love one another. What John adds here is the wonderful assurance that not only do we live in him, but he lives in us. John has laid it all out for us. 
Jesus has promised to take us home. He has promised to prepare a home for us. And if we love him, we will keep his word. Because he loves us, he has sent his spirit. And he reminds us again and again of who we are and what our identity is. And how does he do that? He does it through his word, through the gospel, through the good news that Christ has come and set us free from sin and made us children of God. And because of this, we can go before God and we can pray knowing that our Heavenly Father is not only eager to hear our prayers, but eager to answer them. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you are faithful. Faithful to forgive and faithful to encourage. Faithful to love us even when we fail. Lord, when we have walked across the path in another direction, you bring us back and you assure us that we are yours. Lord, may each person today as they leave, leave with a fresh sense of your assurance and your love for them. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we close with our benediction this morning, I think the wonderfully appropriate verse in Numbers 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.